Awesome. So this is perfect for what I want to address now, which is basically a bunch of tools, techniques, foods, and herbs to become your own best doctor. So first, what would you say is your become your own best doctor starter pack that you recommend people? So what should they start doing right away to take control of their kind of physical and mental health and therefore their happiness? First thing is to get as much as you can out of a victim mindset, which is I am the victim of my circumstances. We all are victims. That is all true. But if you stay in that mindset, it's really hard to heal and take control of your health. So the first step is really a mindset shift from I, this happened to me. I inherited these genetics. I was born poor. I was abused as a kid. I had a concussion at nine that messed me up for a whole year. Whatever your victim state is, whatever has happened to you, whatever disease has happened to you, maybe your parents fed you Coca-Cola and never water. And so you're now you're diabetic. You have that victim mentality because things do happen to you. Rape happens. Victim things do happen. Attacks happen. Wars happen. Terrible things happen. Life suffering happens. But then how you move beyond it is where the magic happens. So you start to take ownership and responsibility. And what that really means is in your daily life, not thinking, I need to do this. I have to do this. I should do this. Not shooting on yourself saying, I should do this. I should do that. I should have gone here. I should have eaten this. And you start to, to love yourself a little bit more and say, oh, I'm in charge. I'm taking responsibility. I'm no longer the victim. I am the hero of my own health journey. And I am going to choose what to eat. I'm going to choose if I want to exercise. I'm going to choose how much I want to eat. I'm going to think about it as I want to heal. I am ready and able to do this. I desire this. It would, wouldn't it be great if I started to sleep seven to nine hours a night? So once the first step is awareness, but maybe the second step is choosing how to reframe your thinking around your day-to-day -day activities and what you choose for your life, your job, your career, and your health. So the first step basically is the kind of infamous, I'm not responsible for what happened to me, but I'm 100% responsible for how I react to these things. And then Correct. this is the self-awareness and kind of acceptation period moment. And then it's saying, now I really want to improve. And therefore, I'm going to have to make lifestyle changes, which means that I'm going to have to do a lot of these things differently. I might have to stop smoking or stop drinking or drink less or change my social circle or different things. So it's going to require a pretty substantial or important effort, yeah. but it's going to be worth it basically. And it's going to change everything because I'm yeah, tired it, of feeling like shit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You have to, people are motivated more by avoiding pain. Our psychology is meant to avoid pain, not draw towards something beneficial. So you have to do both. You have to say, I feel like shit. I look like shit. I'm fat. I'm overweight. I'm tired. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. Whatever it is, whatever your pain points are, you have to feel into those and really say, this is not working for me, or I'm not ready to be like this for the next 20, 30 years. I don't want to die early. I don't want to die mysteriously in the middle of the night. I want to prevent what I can and use that pain as fuel for growth. But then you also say the people who are healthy, they look good. They're sexier. They're healthier. Their skin's better. They feel better. They're internally feeling really good about themselves. And you start to identify yourself as somebody who wants to be that way. 
And then you start to identify yourself as a healthy person. Even if you're not currently healthy, you say, I'm becoming or I am about to be a healthy person or every day in every way, I'm getting a little bit better and better. And then you start to make those choices of, I want the superfoods. I want that identity. It's worth it. It's valuable. I'm willing to spend a little bit more on the organic food. I'm willing to spend more on the less processed food and more of the natural food or the food with less ingredients or go to the health food store or get the avocado rather than the fried donut or whatever the choice is. The better foods, the healthier foods will become a no brainer because you start wanting to be that type of person who feels good, looks good, moves good, sleeps good and is more successful and healthier. So let's say I'm one of these person and I'm, I made this decision. Where do I even start? Do I take a food sensitivity allergy test? What do I do? So I, Because there's so many uh, theories online. There is the ketogenic diet. There is the paleo mm. diet. There is the gluten is terrible or gluten is not that bad. There is the milk is terrible, dairy or not, etc. Like how do I even start? What do I trust? Knowing that everybody is different, but what do I do first? So I know that at least all the effort that I'm going to make, because they're big efforts, are not a waste and I'm not going into the right, the wrong direction. Yeah, I do have a book that breaks this down in more detail called Do I Have Adrenal Fatigue on Amazon? It's like an ebook or a print book. But there are principles to eating well. But as far as um, eating, most of the healthy diets are going to have the same natural philosophy, which is eat real foods. Don't eat mm. fake processed foods. Eat foods that your ancestors have eaten or that have been around for a long mm. time that are not adulterated and poisoned or pesticided. And generally, they're all going to be anti-inflammatory, whether it's paleo, mm. Mediterranean, the alkaline diet. They're all pretty much anti-inflammatory. They're a well-rounded diet with less sugars, less simple carbohydrates generally, and more healthy fat, more protein for most people, more complex carbohydrates. So that's like the what you would do. But most people know, I have them do a really simple little exercise when I teach seminars or retreats, and most people know what they need to do to get better already if they just believe in themselves, which is becoming your own best doctor. And so if you think or write down three things that you know right now you could do that would make you a healthier person, you could just write those three down. And then you think of the three things that you could let go of that are keeping you sick, whether it's a bad habit or an addiction or something that you could do either get rid of completely or do less of. And then once you've written down or thought of three good things you could add and three things you could remove to be healthier, and that could even be toxic stuff like toxic relationships or talking too much to your cousin who's really a downer and sucks up all your time and is an energetic vampire. So you think of three things to add and three things to remove, then your ego over time will then say, oh, shoot, I want that. You'll either start adding them in naturally or you'll start removing them because once you identify them, especially if you write it down, it becomes real. So you think about it, then you write it down or you say it out loud and you basically, your ego will choose to better itself. Like over time, you constantly want more and you want more health, whether you know it or not, you want to feel better. You want to be healthier. So even if you choose one or two of those things to add or remove, you'll get healthier over time. So just keep doing that process on a fairly regular basis. And it's like making, you don't even have to do goal setting, just like the awareness of bringing that into your brain and being like, oh yeah, I reminder that maybe that habit's not so good for me, or maybe I could use a little more vegetables or a little more fruit in my life or a little more protein. That'll all move you over time to a healthier version of you. Yeah. And maybe just before, before moving to the kind of next topic, the kind of reminder for this food is because when you go to the supermarket, 
actually almost everything is crap. And so in your mind, it's in your mind, it's what's the definition of a good food is something that if I don't eat it today is going to be rotten tomorrow. Yes. Pretty much not everything, but most of the things. And so like when I learned that, I just realized actually like I just go in a supermarket and I'm like, this is crap. This is crap. This is crap. This is crap. This, everything is crap. So yep. even the places where we go buy our food that are like supposed to be for us are not necessarily like basically good or working for us. That's another Definitely. topic. <laughs> Great tip. Yeah. If stuff has ingredients that you also, if it hasn't any ingredients at all, you might not want to eat it. Or if it has an ingredient that you can't eat by itself, like if it has MSG or it has a chemical and you can't eat the chemical, don't get the food. Just get the stuff that goes bad right away and get the stuff that either doesn't have ingredients or every ingredient is a separate food you could eat by itself. So just to close this topic of food, what's your take on gluten? I love gluten, but it does not love me. It does not love most people because the gluten industry has been extremely corrupted. So gluten is in wheat, rye, barley, and a couple other grains. And those industries have been polluted or adulterated with lots of Roundup or other pesticides. So our bodies have learned to react and attack gluten. And gluten causes a lot of autoimmune issues. It causes a lot of gut inflammatory issues. And it causes some, even some brain issues for people mm. where you'll get cross-reactivity where your body will react to the cerebellum, which controls balance and dizziness and will cause major problems with brain fog for people when they have gluten. A lot of people get joint pain when they have gluten. So it's not necessarily that gluten itself is evil, but what has happened is the industry has drastically bumped up the, the content or the quantity of gluten in refined wheat or refined white bread and flour. So all these baked goods with wheat and flour in them generally have way too much gluten. So one, the gluten content is way higher and it's also overly toxic and pesticide. So our bodies learn that it's an enemy. It's like when you throw up after having too much alcohol and maybe you threw up spaghetti and you don't want spaghetti in for a few months. That's what happens mm -hmm. to our body. It's not that the spaghetti was bad. It's that our bodies remember the alcohol with the spaghetti makes us not want spaghetti for a long period of time. So your body doesn't want gluten because most of people for decades have been consuming gluten that is toxic. So if you were to have really healthy, refined ancient grains and einkorn flour and really good quality grain that's sprouted and not super refined or pesticided or processed, that's perfectly fine for most people. But we're seeing an explosion of gluten reactivity because mm -hmm. it has been such a corrupted industry. Okay, great. So let's say that I'm pretty self-aware. I realize I have anxiety issues, pretty strong. I want to get much better. First thing I realize is I should eat differently. Basically, I should eat anti-inflammatory food. I should probably lower carbs and do a bunch of stuff that basically we briefly mentioned. I'm going to eat a lot of natural foods and so on and so forth. But that's not going to be enough. It's going to create a great basis to work on. But, and, but there's a lot of other things that can be done. So what are your thoughts on... Let's start with acupuncture. What are your thoughts on acupuncture to help with stress and anxiety? And what's the science behind it? So I love acupuncture for stress and anxiety. Acupuncture is best for pain and stress. Those are the two things it's best for. It works the fastest for pain and stress. And there is the most research for pain and stress. So the way acupuncture works 
is it works like giving a cell phone to your great grandparents. They're going to be really confused. They're not going to know how it works, but they're going to think it's magical. And once they've used it, they'll probably never stop using it because it's such a great tool. They don't always know how it works on the inside, but they know that it's working and it's really cool. So acupuncturists are like the engineers who know how acupuncture works, but we still don't know all of how it works. What we do know is that it helps with blood flow and nerve flow, and it releases neurotransmitters inside of your physical body, your spinal cord, and your brain that help balance your autonomic nervous system. So it releases natural opiates in your spinal cord to help block pain. And it also balances out most of the neurotransmitters inside of your brain. It'll light up areas of your brain that block pain signals. And it'll also balance the blood flow to areas of your brain that manage your emotional state, like your limbic system and your amygdala. So it'll help reduce fear. It'll help with feelings of um, pain and discomfort, and it'll help discharge stress from your body. Some people will cry just for no reason. They'll have tears rolling down their face. They'll have the laugh for no reason, or they'll shake and then relax and release. Some people will feel very heavy after acupuncture. Most people experience what's called an acupuncture high, where they feel a little bit spacey, or I've had one patient actually who blew a red light because he didn't, he was so calm afterwards. He wasn't even ready to drive. Like he had to walk around the block a few times and he was just so Zen or so out of it or so relaxed that he couldn't even go about his normal day-to-day life. So it really helps you get into a balanced state again. Many mm-hmm. people are completely unaware of how stressed out they are, that they get acupuncture and they're like, whoa, this is what it's like to be calm again. This is what yeah. it's like to feel good again. And there's so much that's just really about it, but you have to at least try it a few times from a few different people before you knock it. Like I said about food, it's like just because you went out to eat one time doesn't mean you never go out to eat again. You might have had a someone who didn't, where it didn't work for you, it wasn't enough for you. Or on rare occasion, it's just not, you're either so disconnected from your body that you're not even aware that your breathing rate changed or your thoughts slowed down or your body feels different. So some people just are completely disconnected, but most people will feel a profound shift when they go see an acupuncturist. Yeah, absolutely. I always say when I go, feel reborn. And then you're in this kind of bubble of calm. It's like, the, and during the acupuncture itself, you have sometimes this kind of highs. It'd be the same as when you meditate, basically. You can, it's euphoric and you see some things. It's pretty amazing. So basically, the takeaway is if you're someone who suffers from stress, anxiety, or even panic attacks, go have a try for acupuncture and try a few times and maybe try with two or three different people to make sure you find the right person. Same as if you see a therapist, you might have to find the right person and it might change your life basically. And it's as stupid or simple as that, but it's an amazing tool because obviously with life, you're going to get out of balance. Every You probably live a week or two and you're already out of balance with our lifestyle. So just as a whether you have like deeper issues or just you feel pretty great, but you just live, you go through life and it's not easy every day to just get like back into balance. is just an amazing tool for that. Totally. The other key point I want to, I can't leave without saying is if you do have anxiety, make sure you're not over consuming caffeine. It's such ah, a big thing. It's so big, but if you have to keep having it, have green tea, but so big. Alcohol, cigarettes and the caffeine and the caffeine, obviously because the caffeine, like works as triggering your fight or flight response, which is the exact problem that people who have anxiety already have. And yet, and I know a bunch of people 
who have crazy anxiety. And the first thing I say is stop smoking, stop drinking and stop the, how many coffee do you have today? Three. I'm like, this is the root cause of your anxiety. And the reason why you have this washing machine and you feel terrible, you're you're basically adding fuel to the fire. You're adding dy- dynamite to the fire by doing that. And you don't realize, yeah, but I love coffee. I love coffee. And this is exactly the kind of people who are at that stage where they understand, but they don't want to go to the next step yet. 100%. Yep. <laughs> no, that's a good one. That's a great one. So it's really hard for people to hear that they're the one making themselves sick, but that is often the case. <laughs> yeah. So what would you say about hypnosis? Hypnotherapy, yeah. basically. So hypnosis is something that I'm actually going to be learning more of this year. I did a little bit of training in hypnosis, one of the original forms of hypnosis before it was even called hypnosis, called magnetic healing, which Franz Anton Mesmer created in France in the 1800s. And we have a hypnotist at our office who does medical hypnosis, which is the most evidence-based, science-based form of hypnosis. It's not like you put you on another hypnosis and you're on a stage and you do weird stuff or it's not hypnosis where you go through past life regressions and that kind of stuff. It's basically hypnosis to help you get into deeper brainwave states to help you mm. relax mm. and really get your brain similar to acupuncture into a very calm state. Most people, when they're in a hypnotic state, they feel like seconds have gone by, but they wake up and it's been two hours. So time shifts. Everyone knows when they're in a state of flow that time can shift. Hypnosis does the same thing because it gets you in a total different brain wave state that you're not used to at all. So it's a profound way to help people relax, to de-stress, to allow their brain to heal. It releases natural endorphins inside of your brain and your body and increases your serotonin like two or three, or sometimes fivefold. So it's a profoundly healing modality. And it's something that probably few people have tried, but I think like yoga, like meditation, it's one of the next horizons that's on the upsurge that more early adopters who are entrepreneurs could really take advantage of to get level up on their community or the people they're trying to beat at this point in mm. competition. So talking about meditation, why should people meditate daily? So meditation or hypnosis, it's like pulling back <laughs> the slingshot. It's the calm before you unleash an attack. So you have to wind, you have to give yourself downtime. You can't just constantly be working going. So meditation gives you that calm before the storm. It gives you the ability to kind of like wind up the slingshot and get more tension of calm because most people afterwards are much more efficient. They're much more highly energized. So it, it increases your energy, it increases your focus and efficiency. It also helps you de-stress and release stress and helps you process trauma. There are so many benefits to meditation, but the main one is it helps you learn to control your thoughts and helps mm. slow your thoughts down. So many people have this, like you said, I think like a hamster wheel or a hurricane or a washing machine yeah. going of their thoughts where it just goes and they think that they are their thoughts, but you are not your thoughts. You are the thoughts that you choose to act on and that you choose to self-identify with. Everybody has weird thoughts of, oh, I want to hurt somebody. Oh, I want to hurt myself. Oh, I want to flirt with this person, but they don't. So you are not your thoughts, thank goodness. And to become the master, to become in control of your thoughts, what you do is learn sometimes CBT through therapy, but basically you yeah. learn to meditate. You learn that you have the ability to focus 
on certain thoughts, focus on your breath, focus on music, focus on something you're looking at and the ability and the ability to build the muscle that is your focus is what meditation is all about. People go to the gym to build their muscles, but they never build their focus muscle, which is what meditation does first and foremost. Yeah. yeah. I was reading this guy and he was saying that basically meditation is you have all these unprocessed thoughts since forever, basically, and they accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. And the just the, the fact of sitting down and not thinking about anything. And then you have, you're in the middle of this storm of thoughts. And so it can be probably very difficult in the beginning to go through that. But what happens when you, when you're in there and you start to, instead of try to control them, you notice them. Oh, I noticed that. I want to hurt myself or I want to hurt this person or I hate this person or I'm stressed about this thing. But the more you notice, the more you start to process all these unprocessed thoughts and you're beginning you're going to have a hundred thoughts. That's going to be the complete storm. And then you're going to sit down every day for 30 days, 60 days, 10, 15 minutes. And at some point you're going to realize you're always going to have thoughts, but you're going to have three, four, and you're going to know what they are. We're going to realize, oh, today I'm thinking about that. Just the fact of saying that you're basically noticing them processing them and you're being very self-aware and then you can, that's like the CBT also, cognitive behavioral therapy principle, which is because you're aware, you go, ah, this is this funny thought again. And okay, I'm not going to let this basically take over and make me go completely crazy uh, because I know that it, but that, as you said, I'm not my thought. And because I did all this work of processing these thoughts and I'm aware of them, every time there's one that comes and tries to take over, like protect, protected from it. Correct. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit more about the most powerful herbs out there that could make a significant difference to people who are suffering from mental health challenges today? So for mental health challenges, one of the biggest ones is not even an herb. It's a vitamin, which is magnesium. Magnesium deficiency Mm. will cause depression and anxiety. Period. There are studies out there. Just look them up on PubMed or any Google search or any web search. If it's not censored, you'll find it. And so they it's a lot cheaper to take magnesium than it is to do an antidepressant with a lot less side effects. So if you have magnesium deficiency, taking magnesium, usually magnesium glycinate or magnesium chelate or magnesium citrate is like turning on the lights again for people with anxiety. Some people just feel calmer. Their thoughts slow down. Their worries slow down. And they just feel so much better. So a good magnesium is key, as is a B vitamin complex. Usually a really good quality B complex can also be very helpful for energy and fatigue and anxiety. After those two, usually you're going to get into your adaptogenic herbs, which includes ashwagandha, rhodiola, magnolia, eleuthero, mm. ginseng, all of those. I really like a magnolia. It's called hanokiol. It's H-O-N-O-K-I-O-L. It's a little bit more expensive, but it's a magnolia bark that really helps people with the extreme like upper anxiety. Some people do better. They have more of a low anxiety where they need more uppers. They need more ginseng or rhodiola or ashwagandha kind of bring them up to baseline. But a lot of people with anxiety where it's more of like the quick thoughts, they need more GABA, they need to slow down. So things like chamomile tea, things like kava kava tea, things like hinocchio from magnolia will all like slow that thought process down. Passion flower is another really good herb to help slow down the overthinking, racing heart, racing mind, racing stomach kind of thought process. 
Also, there is a lot of things out there that people can try. Obviously, there's a lot of techniques, a lot of herbs, a lot of tools. Is there one or two that basically are that you particularly love that we haven't mentioned or discussed today and that you want to talk about? Yeah, if they have anxiety, don't forget to cut out the caffeine and all the toxic <laughs> crap you're putting in your body. Otherwise, I would say using water. So float tanks or cold plunges or cold showers are really amazing good. one. Amazing one. Cold showers. <laughs> yep. Cold showers are great. Or if you can get like a really cheap ice bath or like an inflatable bathtub or something or have a bathtub, you can put water and then put ice into it. That's like next level of cold showers. But everybody pretty much has a bathtub or a shower. So you can increase. Look up Wim Hof, W-I-M-H-O-F. Yep. Wim Hof watches documentary about the Iceman and learn the breath techniques and do some cold showers to learn how to regulate your nervous system, which is a great tool. And then float tanks too are great. I actually have one at my house now and it's awesome. It's basically 900 pounds of Epsom salt magnesium that you're floating in zero gravity with no light, no sound. And you just, it's a forced meditation for usually an hour to an hour and a half. So you're basically same thing. It's like that hamster wheel, that washing machine, all your thoughts just come up and you just process everything you need to. And then eventually, because you have no sensory input, it's a sensory deprivation tank where you're floating in water. That's the temperature of your skin and your blood. So you're not feeling anything. Your body will basically just finally slow down and relax after usually 30 to 45 minutes. So if you're one of those people who like hates meditation, you've tried it and can't slow your thoughts down. I would say try a sensory deprivation float tank because it'll pretty much force you into your thoughts dissipating after a while. Awesome. Awesome. If there was a summary or key takeaway that people should remember from today, what would it be? No caffeine if you have anxiety. Yeah, no caffeine. <laughs> the paradox, again, of you are your own best healer, but also he who is his own doctor is a fool. So don't forget to take advice from a therapist, a counselor, a doctor, an acupuncturist, a friend, and realize that you don't have all the answers and you're very smart, but you're also a complete idiot sometimes. And you need someone who cares about you enough to tell you, stop being stupid, stop smoking the nicotine, stop drinking the alcohol, stop caffeinating yourself a couple times a day. And you need to have people who care enough about you to tell you that you're awesome and you're also really stupid and you still have a long way to go too. And that's totally okay. We'll love you anyways. But at the end of the day, you do have the answers and you intuitively know what you need to do in order to get better. So just take a chance on yourself and start doing some of them. Awesome. We'll just finish with the last question that I ask every guest, which is what's something that you believe in that most people would not agree with? That's a good one. Something that I believe in. I believe that we have to be very careful what we wish for <laughs> and exactly how we wish for it. We have to be very careful with what we're trying to manifest in our lives. Um, I've had people say, I want to make a million dollars. And then they don't realize that includes working 70 hours a week and having no family life. So you have to be very careful the type of life that you want to create and the thoughts and the wishes and the spells that you cast on yourself. I believe that your words are spells. That's why they call it spelling. And so you have to be very mindful about what you think and what you say and the more you become really mindful about your internal thoughts and dialogue, you realize it's not you, but the ones you focus on, the ones that you repeat to yourself and the words that you actually verbalize 
our spells and we'll create your life. So if you say, I'm an idiot, I'm never going to make it, I'm unhealthy, I'm addicted to caffeine, you will stay addicted to caffeine. If you say, I'm recovering from caffeine, I'm learning to live a life free from caffeine, I'm learning to not depend on my drugs every day, then that is the version of you that will become reality. So be not everyone believes that, but for people who do, it works. So maybe you should believe it too. So it's basically speaking things into existence. Yes. Your words have the power to speak into existence within reason. You're not going to sprout wings tomorrow, but you might sprout some metaphorical wings that fly you off to the next version of yourself. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time, Brad. Where can the audience find you and connect with you? They can find me on Instagram. It's Dr. Bradley Campbell, Dr. Bradley Campbell. They can also find me on CampbellCareMembership.com. And I have a book on Amazon that's a good start for people who maybe want a little bit more of how to help themselves called Do I Have Adrenal Fatigue? Awesome. Thank you everyone for listening and watching. Please smash the like button and give us your feedback in the comments. Highlights will be posted on YouTube, Twitter, Substack, LinkedIn, and Instagram. So follow us there to get exclusive access to special content and promo code. And I'll see you all in the next episode.